All right, good morning. Let's turn to Ephesians 6, and we'll read the chapter. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you, masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you will be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Maybe seated. Good morning. I think I heard it from this side. How about good morning? There we go. Good, good. It is a good morning. It's great to be in the Lord's house. It's good to have the word of God open before us. And I'm going to ask if you would to pray with me as we begin our study here and continue our study in Ephesians chapter 6. Let's pray together, church. Father in heaven, you've called us to stand in the battle. A battle that continues to endure while we have these earthen tents. Lord, we look forward to the day when the battle is over and we get to spend eternity with you in heaven. We look forward to that day. Teach us, Lord, now all that the battle requires as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And may we not grow weary in the midst of the battle, but... Instead, I pray, Father, we would press on toward the goal to win the prize for which you have called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. And as we press on, Father, may we do so continually strengthened by your power, standing, putting on the whole armor of God that you have so graciously given to us. Father, this day I pray that you would see that our feet are shod with preparation and readiness. A preparation that flows from the gospel of peace. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Mark, you and I must have had the same idea because, you know, this sure lends itself to some shoes, doesn't it? And so I just grabbed a potpourri this morning. These right here are some... Wonderful, 
grass cutting shoes. They've been used many occasions. This is uh, actually a referee shoe, all black. It's good for refereeing. It's not my shoe, however. It's a little big for my foot. But uh, refereeing, we've got a cleat. What might you use a cleat for? Baseball? Yeah, some kind of athletic football, soccer, perhaps. Okay. And we've got some other sundry items in here. These might be nice shoes to wear on a Sunday morning, perhaps. Right? All kinds of good shoes in here. We've got some boots. We've got some... These are nice just to slip on if you're going outside for a little while, right? Come in, you can flip them off. And they're pretty handy little shoes. You know, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about the text and it reminded me of my brother when he was playing. My brother actually played football at the high school level. And I I remember the day when he uh, he was a very good wide receiver. Wide receiver, for those of you that don't know, is the person who runs out and catches the ball that's thrown to him. And he was playing wide receiver, and he would score. And after he would score, it was interesting to watch him because following his score, he would immediately run over to the sideline. Somebody on the sideline would throw him a shoe. And he would take off his right shoe and put on this other shoe. It was a kicking shoe. You see, he doubled, not only he was a receiver, but he was also a kicker. And so he had this shoe, and the end of the shoe, the the toe of it had a little bend to it that lent itself to kicking a football. And so he'd score, he'd run over, they'd throw him the shoe, and you know, you only have a certain amount of time before you have to snap next play. So it was sort of funny to watch after he'd score, go over, he'd be getting it, put it on, go out, he'd kick the extra point, and then they would kick off. And he'd take the shoe off, he'd put his other shoe back on and ready to play receiver again. There are situations and contexts for wearing certain shoes. I believe we'd all be in agreement this morning that the right kind of shoe makes a significant difference. How much more, church, when we talk about engaging In battle. Battle is not simply winning a match, losing a match. Oftentimes battle requires and involves life or death. You lose on the battlefield and the result is oftentimes death. Stakes are much greater on the battlefield. And see, we need to understand something. It's when you understand your context. That that in itself should raise your level of awareness. The battle is a danger zone and requires shoes that will allow you to move at a moment's notice. The shoes in battle had better protect your feet, support your every step. They'd better help you stand your ground. They'd better help you hold your position. We've come to this third piece of the armor that God has given to us. Armor that all of us in Christ are called to put on and take up. Remember, it's the idea of taking up with intent to use. Stand therefore. We continue with that from verse 14. Stand therefore. Now here in verse 15, having shod your feet with The preparation of the gospel of peace. Stand, as we've spoken in previous weeks, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and now today, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, this one piece may be the most critical of all the pieces in terms of battle. I mean, context calls for standing. What do you stand on in battle? Your feet. You stand on your feet. And while it's true that the battle, spiritually speaking, can and ought to be 
fought on your knees in prayer. It is also true that your feet play an integral role when called to stand, literally, to stand. We are in a battle that requires us to move from point A to point B. Most of us are not stationary creatures. We're on the move. And you know, it's interesting to be able to see, even in a a young person, we've got a one-year-old. And when you pick her up, and those of you that have had little ones and maybe still have little ones, there's something about holding them and, and feeling the bottom of their feet. I always especially enjoy that. Do you notice that there's something there about the bottom of the feet. They don't, when they're little, they're not walking on those feet, are they? And there's a softness to the bottom of their feet, isn't it? And she's already just over one. She's now experiencing what it is to walk on her feet. And those of us who are older, we've had lots of experience walking on our feet. And for most of us, If we were to do the same rub test on our feet, it's not as pretty, is it? We've got some calluses, some hard feet. Because you see, many of us in here have walked hundreds, if not thousands of miles on these feet. You roll out of bed. Typically, you stand on your feet. You travel places each day. Your feet serve as the touch points from one destination to another. Think about that. Your feet. They're touch points from one place to another. So in a very real sense, the call to stand requires your feet. Amen? It requires your feet. God has given to you Parts of the body, and they all function to form what we know as the human body. Each part in this body has a role, and the feet enable you to stand properly. One writer, I was reading some articles. I learned a lot about our feet this week. It was interesting. And there was one article I came across, and there was a lady. She was actually a chiropractor, and she wrote the following about our feet. And she said, our feet are the most overused and misunderstood parts of our bodies. Our feet, she says, are the first shock absorbers. Whether we are walking, running, or jumping, and they must convey power to the rest of the body. The foot must be rigid enough to withstand propulsion but also pliable enough to conform to numerous spatial arrangements. You see, church, in battle, propulsion, this idea of moving, propulsion is needed, and the ability to land absorption in numerous spatial arrangements is critical. The battle terrain is typically not flat, Even surface, is it? A lot of times it's uneven, dirt infested, muddy, filled with stones, rocks, sand. God has created you with adaptable feet. (laughs) Praise God. Stand, therefore, having shod your feet with the preparation or with the readiness of the gospel of peace. One of the commentators asks a question with each one of these pieces of armor. I especially like the question he asks with this piece. The question he asks is, am I prepared and ready to fight in this battle? Church, I would ask you this morning, are you ready and prepared to fight in this battle? The ESV translation I especially like here. It reads, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness. The word for preparation in the New King James, readiness is also a a translation, a word that we could put in there. 
having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. See, what we're reading in Ephesians 6 is this listing of the whole armor of God. And part of this armor includes shoes to wear in the battle. We gird the waist with this belt of truth. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. We put on the helmet we'll talk about of salvation. We take up the shield we'll get to next week of faith. We hold forth the sword of the spirit. What we're talking about, what we're reading here in Ephesians 6, is armor that God provides for his children to stand in the battle against evil. The shoes remind us, listen... The shoes remind us to be ready. To be ready. To be prepared. To be firmly grounded. Unlike the belts, the shoes need to be firmly fitted so the feet don't slide around. You see, the shoes are a necessary piece of the armor of God. They are a necessary piece of the armor of of God. The soldier's shoes, let me, let me just describe, as one writer says, about these shoes of the soldier. They were oftentimes made of leather and left the toes free. They had heavy studded soles and were tied to the ankles and shins with more or less ornamental straps. You might have seen pictures of these soldiers. And these equipped him for long marches and for a solid stance. And while they did not impede his mobility, they prevented his foot from sliding. Another writer elaborates on the, the heavy studded soles. And he says, the soles were thickly studded with nails. This would give him a firm footing in case of attack. Stand therefore, having shod your feet with readiness, with preparation, with firm footing. Some translations speak to shouting your feet with the gospel of peace, which provides a firm place to stand. And there's truth that the gospel, right? There's truth that the gospel does provide a firm place to stand. But I believe what the text is advocating is a shouting your feet with readiness and preparation. Are you ready to fight? In this battle. Church, I would want you to know that not only is this a necessary piece of armor, but there is necessary preparation called for. Necessary preparation. As a soldier of Jesus Christ, as a Christian, as one who follows and walks after the Master, there is a necessary preparation. You know, as I think about being ready, I was reminded of the days on the court getting ready for a new basketball season. I was, I was thinking about this, and I, I was reminded that we would practice playing defense. We would practice playing defense. Now, I have to admit, as a player, it wasn't all that enjoyable to practice playing defense. Most players like to practice playing offense. We don't like to practice playing defense. We spent a lot of time practicing defense. The idea was to guard your man remaining in a stance. A stance. You had to get in a stance. If you weren't in a defensive stance, you weren't able to effectively guard anyone. And if you couldn't guard people, you just didn't play. It was a pretty simple concept. If you wanted to play, you got in a stance. Being in a stance, church, demanded discipline. It meant learning how to play on your toes. Readiness on the court was playing on your toes, not sitting back on your heels. See, being in a stance was preparing to win. 
And while the defensive drills pounded this concept into our minds, offensively it was just as important to play in a stance. To be on your toes, to be ready to drive, to be ready to cut, to be ready to catch the ball, to be ready to shoot. And on offense, the phrase was oftentimes, get your feet set. Get your feet set. Get ready to catch the ball. Listen, it was always so we were told as players to make the necessary preparations ahead of time with your feet to be in a position to do something effective with the ball and ultimately help your team. Get your feet ready. Friends, taking that illustration and applying it to our lives as Christians. Are your feet currently shod with readiness? Let me ask another question. Have you disciplined yourself to be ready? Sinclair Ferguson writes, a disciplined Christian is a difficult target for the enemy of our souls. A disciplined Christian is a difficult target for the enemy of our souls. Are you in a defensive stance as a soldier of Jesus Christ? Are your feet set to be offensively effective in this battle? Think about how tragic it is, church. Think about it for just a moment. How tragic it is to be an undisciplined soldier in the army of the Lord. If you are not disciplined... You will find yourself an easy mark for the evil one's schemes. Lack of discipline connects to a lack of self-control. A soldier without proper discipline, without proper self-control, can end up causing greater harm both for himself and for those fighting alongside him. Isn't this true? Church also in the context of church life. The body is to walk together, keeping in step together with the Holy Spirit. And to do so effectively, we must walk in the power of the Spirit and not in the flesh. The goal is to grow to maturity in Christ who serves as our head, to whom we're all connected, being His body. Shod your feet with preparation and readiness. Undisciplined Christians will find themselves in places they ought not to be. The proverb writer has much to say here. Proverbs 21, 16. A man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. Proverbs 27, 8, like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place. Proverbs 4, 14 and 15, do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Proverbs 4, the last two verses of Proverbs 4, 26 and 27. Ponder the path of your feet. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. What's that mean to let all your ways be established? It means, I believe, to walk in the light where your life is seen for what it is. Let your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. And then Proverbs 7, in the context of that adulterous woman. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. Why? For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell. You walk her way, the Bible tells us 
what that way leads to. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. Shod your feet with readiness and preparation. Stop wandering around. No straying with your feet. Remove your foot from evil. Ponder the path of your feet. Where are your feet taking you, friends? At the end of Proverbs chapter 5, it says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. You see, on one hand, there's a call for us to ponder the path of our feet. On another hand, there's also this understanding and realization that the Lord ponders all our paths. Ought we not as a Christian, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, desire that the Lord see us walking in his way? He is watching. The Bible says he doesn't sleep. He doesn't take naps. He never slumbers. He's watching. Ought we not desire to please him? If the Christian is called to shod his feet with readiness and preparation in this battle. How does he attain to this? Is the text here just simply advocating some pull yourself up by the bootstrap mentality? No, I don't believe it is. The readiness and preparation called for with the shoes comes from the gospel of peace. We are to shod our feet with readiness and that readiness, listen, that readiness flows out of the gospel of peace. So we see that the shoes are a necessary piece of the armor, just like all the other pieces that we're talking about. But our, our feet require necessary preparation in the battle. And listen, there's also, thirdly, necessary peace, P-E-A-C-E. -E. Necessary peace to effectively stand in the battle. When writer says that the gospel of peace is the marvelous truth that in Christ we are now at peace with God and one with him. You see, when our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, we stand in the confidence of God's love for us. Romans 8. Who can separate us? The confidence in God's love for us. We, we stand in his union with us. Romans 6. And his commitment to fight for us. Remember what we're called to be about. We're called to stand. Stand. And we see numerous examples in the scripture where the Lord is fighting for his people. Do you believe he'll fight for you? Do you by faith believe that? Are you trying to fight your own battles? Romans 5. I love those first two verses. Therefore, having been... Justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have access by faith. We have access by faith into this grace in which we what? Stand. We are to put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And the readiness comes by way of this gospel. Remember that our, our battle here is not against flesh and blood. Peace with God. Listen, peace with God is a precursor to having peace with men. You wonder why there's so much strife in the world around us today. People need the Lord, people are lost. They're entangled in their sins. They've yet to experience what the Bible calls this peace with God. They might know about him. They might have attended a church service or two. They might have actually heard a sermon on occasion. 
but they've yet to surrender their life to Jesus. To this point, they have not bowed their knee to his lordship. They have not repented of their sin, the very thing that's separating them from this peace with God. You know, I was thinking about this and just reminded how we're in the midst of this 50 days of prayer as a church. And one of the passages that keeps coming to the forefront is that 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. From heaven, he's going to hear us. Forgive us. Heal us. See, the gospel of peace is the catalyst for a spirit of humility. Listen to this. Humility puts our feet in readiness position to receive the grace that he freely offers. Humility puts our feet in readiness position to receive the grace that he freely offers. Humility prepares us for effective battle against the schemes of the evil one through prayer on bended knee where we acknowledge our need for him, our dependency upon him. It's arriving at a place of hungering and thirsting. You remember that in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. It's arriving at this place of hungering and thirsting for his will to be done, his name to be magnified through our lives. One writer said that if you aren't hungry for God, you are full of yourself. Think about that. If you're not hungry for God, you're full of yourself. And listen, you cannot humble yourself and at the same time be full of yourself. The Lord's condition is humbling yourself Praying and seeking his face in conjunction with turning from your wicked ways. Those who are, those are all to be done collectively. And the result is that the Lord will hear, the Lord will forgive, the Lord will bring healing. Having your feet shod with readiness is an outflow of the gospel of peace in your life. And with your shoes firmly fitted on your feet, remember that your readiness today has everything to do with what God did through his son Jesus Christ some 2,000 years ago. If you would turn backward in the book of Ephesians for just a moment. In chapter 2, he's talking about, he's calling them to remember who you once were. Remember, as Gentiles, right? Once Gentiles in the flesh, verse 12, that at that time, listen, this is who you once were. Paul says, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. Without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our, what? Peace. Who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. He himself is our peace. He made peace effective through what he did at the cross. He came and he preached peace. You see, this gospel is good news. That's that's the idea. It's good news. How many of us like good news? Do you like to hear good news on a day? I, I do. I enjoy hearing good news. It does something for the bones, the proverb says. It gives us life. 
When there's good news, you tend to perk up a little bit. When you know something good is about to happen, it's refreshing. Church, we have the best good news ever. And yet, you know what I see? People who are Christians, we act like it's not good news. No, no, no. Up here we know that it is and we can tell others it's good news. It's right here and it's in the walking it out. Where we seem to fail to remember this is a good news message. If you have good news, what is it that you want to do with that good news? Do you just like to keep it here? Just keep it? What do you like to do with good news? I know in our home, when there's good news, and and if I let good news out to one of our children, I know what happens with it. It's ready to go. They can't wait to tell somebody. Church, why is it we fail to just open our mouths and tell people about this good news? Why is it that with our lives, we cannot promote the good news? Not just with words, but also with our lives. What we stand upon. Is it really good news? Or do we just give it word speak? Lip service. You know that angel that appeared that day to the shepherds? Remember that? He announced the good tidings. He had good news. It was a good news message of great joy. That would be for whom? Was it just for the shepherds? It would be for all people. That good news message is embodied in Jesus. The fact that a savior had been born whose name was Christ the Lord. And so, you know, even as you track the steps of Jesus in the scriptures, you begin to see that his steps were intentional steps. Were they not? His steps were intentional. He walked where the father called him to walk. He spent many of his days walking among the people. Did you know that? Walking among the people. He didn't travel great distances during his short stay on earth. The Gospels record a rather limited ministry in terms of the geographical distance that he traveled. He spent some time by the sea in the region of Galilee. He traveled through Samaria and he spent much time in Judea. You might say that he didn't get around much. And yet he accomplished a great deal during his short stay, didn't he? He was reminded of the the Scottish uh, preacher, Robert Murray McShane. You might have heard of him. Robert Murray McShane lived to be 29 years of age. 29. And I read his biography and, and, and I was struck by all of the things that this man accomplished at such a young age. His feet took him many places with the gospel, preaching and teaching on multiple occasions. And his feet regularly traveled around the village where many of his parishioners lived. Not a one of us know the days ordained for us. What if we shot our feet with readiness and preparation right now? What if together, fueled by this peace with God, the peace that passes all understanding, this gospel peace that has the ability to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, what if when we put on our shoes for the battle, we thought of walking like Christ himself walked? What if we regularly walked in the light as, and not in darkness? What if we consistently walked in the power of the Holy Spirit and not in the flesh? What if we walked in such a way that showed those around us that we really do have a purpose here on earth. We really do have a mission to accomplish. You see, friends, when you have peace with God, you take on the mind of Christ. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in weeks ahead. And life is lived differently now. It's literally walked out as a new creation. You no longer live, as Peter says in chapter 4, you no longer live the rest of your life and your time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Peter says, for you've spent enough of your past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when you walked in lewdness and lusts and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. He says, in regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. Listen, 
shod your feet with readiness. Readiness comes by way of the gospel of peace, this peace with God. When your feet start taking you to new locations in the days ahead, people are going to wonder, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? Why isn't she taking part in these things anymore? You see, when you choose to remove your foot from evil, when you choose to walk with the godly crowd instead of the ungodly crowd, critics are going to raise their voices and the evil one is going to try his best to turn your steps away from the light. You know, I was thinking about the story of the prodigal son. And I was reminded, you know, that prodigal son, he spent all that he had, right? He went away, he spent it all, and where did he end up? Where did he find himself? In a slough of mud, working with a bunch of pigs. Great job, huh? Hanging out in the mud. And I was thinking about how this picture in the battle, what we're talking about, how the... He returns when, when the Bible says he came to his senses and, he, and he's going to go back and he's rehearsing what he's going to say to his father. And I was thinking about how the evil one in this situation, he does not desire for us to return to the father. He would rather have us go back and hang out in the mud. Remember, he is a thief. He comes to steal and kill and destroy His objective is to see you picked off in this battle one way or the other. And he will use your feet. Listen, he will use your feet to take you places that give him an advantage. You put your feet in certain contexts. He's going to open the door for certain schemes of his. That's why we're to ponder the path of our feet. That's why we're to remove our feet from evil. Shod your feet with readiness. The battle that's being described in Ephesians 6 is put forth for each individual in Christ. And yet the battle is something we wage together. Amen? We wage this battle together. The church is made up of parts. And each part is called to stand in the battle. We're called to stand against the enemy's schemes. We're called to understand who the right enemy is. What happens in the church when parts are not standing? What happens in particular when certain parts have chosen not to shod their feet with readiness and preparation called for in the text? What happens to the church of Jesus Christ when her parts are undisciplined and lack self-control? What what do you do, church, when when you see a brother in the Lord who's walking carelessly, not prepared at all for battle, seemingly not real concerned about preparing himself for the battle? When you see a sister in the Lord walking aimlessly, wandering around with seemingly no objective of walking in the light, what do you do? See, church, God has placed the parts of this body together for such a time. It's no accident that he's placed you in community. We are called to walk by faith together to encourage one another as we walk each day, to exhort one another to walk in the light as he is in the light. We are called to pray for one another in this battle, to bear with one another, to restore one another, and above all to what? Love one another. This body is one, and as such, One body is walking toward the light as he is in the light. This body is walking in the truth. This body is walking to reach the lost. You see, the body that I read about in the scriptures walks as one, wholeheartedly devoted to the head to whom we, the body, are supposed to be connected. All the parts of the body must stick together to the mission at hand. And when the body walks in unity, steadfast in the faith, and bent toward accomplishing his mission, his purpose. Guess what happens? The enemy shudders. The enemy of our souls finds it difficult to gain a foothold. That's what he's after, remember. He finds it difficult to gain a foothold when the body of Christ, when the body of Christ has shod her feet with readiness given to her by the gospel of peace. The devil holds out hope when he has you isolated as one part. 
I want you to consider that for just a moment. You see, that's the danger of not being connected to the body of Christ. And it's exactly where he wants you to be. Cut off from support. Cut off from encouragement. Cut off from love. Cut off from the teaching of the word, from the truth of the word. It's right where he wants you to be. Isolated. The shoes we're speaking of this morning are a necessary piece of God's armor. And these shoes serve as necessary preparation for standing in the battle. And the shoes remind us of a necessary peace that comes from God himself through our Lord Jesus Christ. What we've called this peace with God. And you know we look and we talk about these shoes. And how having the right kind of shoes makes all of the difference. In the home. On the playing field. At the job. But most importantly on the battlefield. The stakes are eternal. Souls are on the line. Life and death is in the balance. The call, I believe, in the text is to put on the whole armor of God, friends. To take up these shoes. Shod your feet with readiness given to you by the gospel of peace. There needs to be one word added here, I believe. Before you can stand in this battle, you must be at peace with God. You must be. That's the driving force behind your readiness and preparation. You will never see your need to be ready in this spiritual battle until you see your need for Jesus. And your need for Jesus will only arrive as you see your need to be rescued. Your need for Jesus comes as you see yourself in need of a Savior. Your need comes as your eyes are opened to the devastating effects of sin in your life. Repent of your sin. Turn from it. Turn to God. Do works befitting repentance. I didn't make that up. That comes from the Apostle Paul. That was his... That was his Three, three parts. I mean, I just, three parts. He kept that with him. And wherever he went, he preached, repent, turn from your sin, turn to God and live your life in such a way that befits repentance. Church, if it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for us. And that ought to be what we carry with us each day in this battle, each day. Repent of our sin, turn to God, do works befitting a repentant life. That's the pattern for our brief days here, church. It's the pattern, listen, it's the pattern not for one part of the body, but for the body as a whole. Stand, therefore, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness... Readiness that is given by this gospel of peace. It's good news. Let's be sure we live in such a way that others know this is good news. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the good news that you've given to us. This gospel of peace. Father, that good news is what should stir and be the catalyst for our readiness and preparation in our days. There ought to be a desire, Lord, for us to want to please you, to hunger and thirst for you. May we not be full of ourselves, Lord, but may we constantly be desiring more of you. May we shod our feet with preparation. May we get in a stance. May we be ready. As a soldier of Jesus Christ. 
I pray, Father, that we would be on alert, ready to move. Help us to understand, Father, the necessity of this piece of armor. Help us to see, Lord, there are necessary preparations. And, Father, this morning there may be some who in their heart of hearts realize and know that they've not prepared themselves at all for this battle. They've done a fine job preparing themselves for a job interview. They've done a fine job preparing themselves for the meeting at work. They might even have done a fine job preparing themselves to be a father, a husband. Father, we know that that's incomplete unless and until we have prepared ourselves to walk with you. May we not be undisciplined. May we not lack self-control in this battle. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts. That we might be disciplined, prepared, ready to hear from you. To walk with you where you call us to walk. And Father, I thank you for that peace that you've given to us. And Father, I pray for those here today who have not yet experienced that peace with God. Father, you would open their heart, open their eyes to see and understand their need to repent of their sin, to turn from their sin, to turn to you and to then live their lives as new creations, to live in such a way that their life reflects a repentant lifestyle. Each day of our lives, Lord, that we would walk with you for it would be the desire of our heart to please you. We thank you, Father, for your good word, this word of truth that you've given to us. And I pray that we would not just hear these words today, but Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would help us to walk, literally walk these words out. And as we do so, Lord, I pray that you give us strength, that you would encourage us, that you would give us the confidence in the spirit to walk by faith, trusting that you're fighting the battles for us. As we stand upon your holy word, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.